Hi, I'm Bob Bushansky. Welcome to the latest edition of Politics, A Love Story. Wow, it couldn't happen, or so we thought. Here we are three days after the largest election turnout in almost a 100 years. As I was writing this last night, there was no clear winner of the presidency or was there control of the Senate. Trump has a narrow path to another term and the Dems, Dems have a narrow path to control of the Senate. I was so sure of my predictions and so very wrong. What happened? Well, back with us again is our friend, Phil Worf, political science professor at Mendocino College, to help us understand what happened with polling. Almost everyone was wrong. And what's with the Dems? They sure raised a ton of money. Did they not deploy it correctly? Did they peek out too early? Did Joe not spend enough time on the road? Did they ignore Latinos? Okay, Phil. I'll let you get a few words in starting right now. Go for it, Phil. Okay. Um, hey, Bob. Um, it's been, a, like you said, an interesting few days. Um, it looks like, though, maybe this morning there's going to be um, some resolution. But, yeah, the polling was really off, which is, um, you know, everyone thought, well, it was, you know, it was off by a few points in um, uh, 2016, but it was an unusual election, and et cetera. And, um, you know, there is a lot of changing in the polling uh, industry right now, but they're way off, and people thought it would be corrected this year, but it's still, it, pretend, you know, it could be worse than last time. And this is a problem, as you're mentioning, one of the connections is that a lot of campaigns and obviously the parties and so forth use this polling data to determine where they're going to spend their money, where they're going to send the candidate, um, you know, that kind of thing. And so when the polling is off, well, this has a big impact on, the, you know, not only candidates, but journalists and academics and sort of understanding the nature of the race. But, I mean, we're talking about this, um, I, I'm sure you saw it, but the last ABC News poll um, had some massive um, edges for Biden in Wisconsin, up 17 points and, um, you know, plus 11. Um, nation, or, um, I'm sorry, New York Times had it plus 11. So it's, um, it's really amazing how off they were. And there are a number of, you know, possible, there's some theories about this that we could go into if, if you want to. Um, but I was just really surprised, first of all, that, uh, you know, they were, they were that far off. Everyone expected that they'd figured their, their problem out, uh, but apparently not. Um, so, I mean, I, I, you want to you talk about some of the potential reasons why there's uh, what happened? Yeah, let me just point out one other thing, though. In Monday's Wall Street Journal, on page four, they had a story at the top of the page, Biden leads Trump by 10 points in poll. Even a conservative organ saw the same things that you and I and everybody else saw. Yes, please go into it. <laughs> well, that's right. But, I mean, I think uh, we like to, to kick around some of those, um, you know, Republican polling houses that were very different, like, I hate to say it, but Rasmussen and, and some of those, and they were actually closer. And I think um, so there's a few things. One of them is the, one of the big hypotheses here is that, there's something called the shy Trump voter, uh, and this has to do with sort of a social desirability effect, which is, you know, really common in social science. People act differently when they think that they, um, you know, that they think or act differently than other people, and that maybe that is not uh, viewed as positively by other people as, as other actions or behaviors. Okay, so what the, this guy at, um, or this at the USC Dornsife Center and um, this guy, uh, Robert uh, Cahaley, I think it is, at their Trafalgar group, he says, look, if you ask the question, who do you think your friends and neighbors will vote for, um, the 
Biden's or uh, Trump's performance goes up by about 5%. Mm. So they think that's a real a, a good measure. People are less likely to tell somebody that they're going to vote for Trump because they feel like they would look down on them or something. Uh, and this is really a big issue for, you know, direct uh, when you're when people are doing live telephone polling because it's more difficult for people to 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 engage with someone who they don't know on this kind of question whereas if you're doing it online or something it seems to be maybe better uh but so this is a big problem um you know there's there was some debate about this uh but that uh, this had been resolved and it wasn't really a shy voter problem it was a you know a, a turnout problem a turnout model problem or something but it looks like maybe there's something to it um there's also, you know, turnout. Possibly, you know, what one of the things that pollsters do um, is that they they develop a turnout model that, you know, what their assumptions about who's likely to turn out and at what levels, and they use that to set quotas and so forth and determine what the proper sample will look like for you know a representative survey. And you know, one possibility is that these these turnout models are just no good uh, anymore. We don't fully understand a changing electorate, and that's certainly impossible as well. Um, we also know that uh, Democrats are more likely to pick up a phone um, and you know that sort of thing. But the bigger problem with phones is that the response rate is terrible. I mean, you know, no one picks up their phone anymore. I don't remember the last time I picked up my home telephone unless I knew who was calling. And so um, this is a major problem, uh, and, and we don't really know how to make that transition from, you know, a live person calling to sort of a, a good model of online research. So the number of different you know, reasons uh, here. And also, Bob, you have to admit this is a very strange election, right? Um, you, <laughs> you have the you have the COVID, you have this massive early and, um, you know, uh, early voter turnout and uh, mail voter turnout and um, the vi- big difference between how people uh, voted on election day. And so it's a really strange election. I imagine you'll hear a lot of pollsters saying, hey, you know, g- you know, give us another shot, but <clears throat> give us another shot. But I think uh, you'll hear a lot of people saying, why, why are we paying all this money for polling? And why are we making all these decisions based on polls when we don't have good information? So it's a it's kind of a crisis for, for pollsters a little bit. And more so for progressives, because up until this election, progressives were deluded into believing that this was a more left-of-center country, and what the election has shown, that it's a more uh, right-of-center uh, country. Uh, uh, Biden, uh, so far, has about uh, 73 or 74 million votes and Trump has about 68 or 69 million votes. Uh, that's a lot of people uh, coming out that were unanticipated. And yes, the polling has to change. One of the reasons I don't participate is I don't know whether it's a push-pull poll or a pull-poll. I don't know uh, how they selected the questions, what order they put them in. So you could get whatever you want out of a poll. And you, being a former pollster, understand that. Uh, so... Uh, there's a lot here that needs to be looked at. And I think a postmortem, like the Republicans did in 2012, which didn't really amount to anything, needs to be done by Democrats. Well, I think so. A couple of reasons, right? I mean, obviously, these big advantages for Democrats in these uh, latest polls, and that could have had, as I mentioned before, sort of campaign decision-making uh, obviously was affected. I mean, why, why send Obama to Florida when you should be sending him to Pennsylvania, uh, but you think you got that one salted away? Um, and I think Biden did perform pretty well in a couple places that, um, that suggested he was going to, poll suggested he would perform well, but not nearly as well as uh, was expected. And so, 
you know, I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, soul-searching about exactly what the problem is with these polls and um, what consultants can bring to the table that is, um, you know, it, that it's useful and you know, what what we do with this information. So I think a lot of it will be based on uh, turnout models. So usually, um, you know, when there's big turnout, Democrats do better. Uh, but it looks like here this year the turnout, which is going to be massive, um, like you said, the biggest in almost 100 years, uh, or more than a hundred years. Um, so, you know, this is a kind of a, as I mentioned, a very unusual election and how to project turnout, but you would think that some of these pollsters would have figured this out a little better from last time, because I think it's probably even worse than 2016. Now, another thing you could help us with, uh, understand, um, I see that, um, the, the website Business Insider has called Pennsylvania for Biden and now has him over the top at uh, 273. So uh, these organizations, uh, the news and others, AP usually uh, is a little bit ahead of everyone else, but there are other organizations that still have them at 254 electoral votes. That's Biden, I mean. So how do all these outfits decide when to call a particular uh, race? Well, I mean, what they do is they look at, um, you know, what what. Uh, you know, what the vote that's already come in looks like, where it's come from, what the margins are, and then, you know, look at what's left out and what they expect to happen based on historical norms. And once they get to a point where they believe that whoever's behind can't, you know, make up that vote, well, then they'll call the race. And it's interesting because AP called Arizona, well, Fox News, too, um, or fairly early, if you think about it, on election night. And, um, you know, that's what uh, the AP, as you, you mentioned, is usually one of the first ones to do it. And they called Arizona, and they stuck with it, and it looks like um, they're going to be right. But it's mainly just looking at historical, um, you know, behavior and turnout, and, um, you know, that that's kind of how you do it. You look at what vote's out there and what margin you would need to get out of that vote and whether that's likely to happen, and uh, then they make the projection. I'm actually surprised that um, the New York Times, for example, and others have not called the race yet, even though, um, there's a, what, 10,000 vote margin in Pennsylvania, and that's going to, you know, go significantly up from there. So I think it's, I, I think, um, it's pretty clear that Biden's going to win unless something really strange happens, um, with any vote challenges. Um, and, and I'm surprised it hasn't been called, but, uh, and, you know, so I, I would look, I look to that, for that to happen sometime this morning, I would guess. So, um, one of the things before we get to what Mitch McConnell can do, uh, let me uh, see if you can come up with a suggestion or two for pollsters. What should they be doing differently in 2024 than what they've done thus far? Well, um, they should lower their um, lower their fees. <laughs> okay, <laughs> kidding, kidding. Um, but but yeah, I mean, what they really need to do is they need to look at um, how do we improve, how do we deal with this um, effect of people changing their behavior or giving a different response or withholding a response. Um, or lying. Or out or and lying. out lying. <laughs> well, there's not much you can do about lying, but I think people are more likely to lie to a person uh, who they don't know, who's asking them questions that they don't want to be judged over than using some online methodology or computer methodology. I think Survey USA that just simply does a you know phone-based push push number whatever for whatever response they actually do pretty good um so they're going to have to move away from from 
person, you know, live calling. And I think they're also going to have to look very closely at turnout models and look at who turned out and, you know, how heavily and where and make those adjustments, which they thought they had made for this time. But it looks like that's not, uh, obviously, they didn't, didn't, didn't get that fine-tuned enough. So those are the two things I think that they really are going to have to do is look to go move away from live calling and then look at what, they're, what they would call a turnout model, who's going to turn out and, and that sort of thing. And they don't, I, don't, I don't know that they, you know, we're kind of in a new era of American politics right now where it's very divided, and um, I think they, have, they haven't fully figured it out yet. Um, but, I mean, we shouldn't be too tough on them. They've been pretty good, um, you know, in some of the recent races, 2018, not bad. But, but this year, just uh, this very unusual election, just not quite there yet. But um, I think they can – maybe they'll get another shot in, in uh, 2024. We'll see. So I'm going to put McConnell off just for a little bit because you brought up the House. So uh, the Democrats uh, got 40 seats that turned in the 2018 election. And here, in this election, they were hoping – and thought they could turn another 10 or 12. In the meantime, they've lost five seats with several still pending. So uh, is that just because of the pollsters being wrong or their own uh, ideas not work? I don't understand that. Yeah, it's hard to really, uh, I mean, I could imagine if there was, there was the expectation that Democrats would pick up a number of seats in the House, and I can understand if they just didn't pick up that many, but it looks like they're, you know, um, the, the, the Republicans are flipping more seats than the Democrats are, and that's not what was expected. It looks like maybe there could be as little as a 15 to 20 vote gap between the Democrats and Republicans in the House, which is going to make running the House a little bit more difficult, um, or a lot more difficult, depending on the topic. Um, but I think this, a lot of this is just sort of the polling error and, um, you know, the, the, the shy Trump voter. It also could just be down to the high level of turnout. I mean, you know, Trump um, probably turned out his voters, um, and he certainly looks like he did on Election Day. So there was just um, a different turnout than what was expected and i think the you know the polls just don't haven't figured this uh, out yet and um you know it's it's hard to unless until we get some you know more data to do a full sort of uh, you know post-mortem or autopsy on the election we won't really know but it is very surprising how uh, much democrats underperformed and maybe it is down to their um overconfidence as a result of the polling let me um uh, just take a pause for a second to reintroduce you. You're listening to Politics, a Love Story. My guest today is Phil Worf, uh, political science professor at Mendocino College, and I'm your host, Bob Bushansky. Now, uh, in the Senate, uh, it hinges at this moment on the runoff election on January 5th. Uh, there are two potential uh, pickups for the Dems and, of course, two potential uh, pickups for the Republicans. And Mitch McConnell has said if he gains or retains control, he's going to thwart the new president any which way he can. Now, the job of the Senate is advise and consent. Well, what Mitch McConnell uh, is talking about is not consenting to anything. How would that work? Well, I mean, we know how it would work because that's exactly what McConnell did when Obama won the presidency. His his statement, famous statement was, you know, we're going to make Obama a one-term president. And how do you do that? You make it so that he can't get anything done. And that's what they're going to try to do to Biden, I'm sure. I mean, we know that um, McConnell is one of the most craven politicians in the United States, if not anywhere. And, uh, you know, a guy who's more than willing to... Um, 
to you know withhold the supreme you know an a, a advice and consent on the Supreme Court nominee for ten months. Um, he's willing to do whatever it takes, and I think that's we know that's his strategy. That's what he did to Obama. The only way they got you know, Obamacare passed was some arcane legislative maneuver. And um, it's not that's completely what I would expect from McCain and uh, McConnell, and it's really just unfortunate. Uh, it was a big opportunity for Democrats, and looks like um, there's these two runoffs in Georgia. I suppose if um, you know you could end up with a tie, but that's not exactly the best place uh, that you'd want to end up with runoffs. But, um, but with, a, with a tie, though, Kamala, uh, Kamala Harris, being uh, the vice president, then presides over the Senate and would be the tiebreaker if there was fifty-fifty among. Amongst the senators, yeah, absolutely. So that's why the um, obviously the presidential election is important, but that's one of the reasons. Um, yeah, and you know, Ossoff and um, Purdue is a pretty in Georgia is a pretty close race, um, and they're, uh, Purdue is not going to get to fifty percent, so they're going to basically have a repeat. Um, this will be, I think, January fifth. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, the both date. both races. That's uh, uh, John Ossoff and uh, uh, Kelly Loeffler, as well as Purdue and uh, Warner. Warnock, uh, they're both going to uh, be in the runoff on January 5th. Uh, so it's hanging in the balance until then. But what about uh, North Carolina? I didn't see the result of the Tillis-Cunningham uh, race. Did, did Tillis win? Well, it looks like he's going to. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm actually looking at some of the data here. He's up by, looks like, Gosh, 100,000 votes. Uh, so um, I don't think there's any way that uh, Cunningham's going to turn up that many votes. Between, you know, there's only about 5% of the vote left out. So looks like that's, uh, you know, Tillis uh, was able to hold uh, him off. I'm surprised that, um, I'm actually surprised that, um, forgot it's for Steve, is it Danes? Um, I forgot his first name, but in Montana, he right. held on. I was surprised by that. Joni Ernst in Iowa held on, and I was kind of surprised by that. Um, you know, none of the none of the rest of it surprised me too much. But what about no, Susan Collins? Well, yeah, that's right. That was a that was surprising. Another one where the polls were just completely off. I mean, if um, if if the polls had shown her winning by three or four points or whatever it happens to be, then I think a lot of that money would have been spent somewhere else. Oh, she's you know she won by eight points almost. So wow. it's really amazing that it could be that far off. So either you know Trump voters were not. Or Republican voters were not being that that honest. They weren't participating at uh, high levels in polls as uh, Democratic, um, you know, leaning voters, uh, or you know, something. And uh, so this, I mean, this is really embarrassing for for pollsters, and they're really going to have to figure this out. Um, and uh, I don't, I don't know what um, you know. There'll be some some soul searching and a lot of data crunching, and maybe they'll get it figured out. But very surprising that it was. You know, I could see her pulling it out, Collins, that is, but um, by a percentage point or two, but the, the gap was really, really bigger than was expected. So, yeah, all these uh, these three or four pickups just didn't didn't pan out, and Democrats are very optimistic about, you know, taking the Senate and patting their lead in the House, neither of which happened. So, um, I, you know, I guess there's this huge Republican turnout in some of these some of these places. I wonder how many will contract uh, the COVID-19 uh, virus and how many will die as a result. You mean people showing up at the polls on Election Day? Yeah, in large groups and maskless uh, amongst the Trump supporters. That's right. And, uh, I, you know, I, you, would, you would think that um, they would act differently, uh, 
you know, based on what has happened and sort of the really big ramp up in, in COVID cases in the U.S. and the sort of third, it's like going to be a third spike here. Uh, but, you know, I guess when Trump survives it uh, fairly easily, even though he's got uh, even though he got treatments that no one else is going to get, uh, that average people are not going to get, um, they think, oh, it's not a big deal, and that's what he tells them. So that's what they, you know, that's their assumption. And it's really unfortunate. I mean, you can look at the map and you can see that something like Sturgis, the motorcycle event, yep. the super, super spreader event, you can see it on the map, you know, and uh, I think we're going to see, um, you know, p- part of why there's been a big ramp up is probably because of some of these uh, Trump rallies that are, you know, just huge, um, as they call them, super spreader events. And, and it just sort of multiplies over time. And um, maybe this will help now that we don't we're not going to have these big um, these big rallies. But uh, it, I wonder, it's a good question. Is that uh, has there been a big um, transmission of covid as a result of this, um, you know, polling place voting without any any mask on or other, you know, social distancing or anything else that you should be doing. So, um, yes, I imagine there are some. We don't know how many. Well, there are 100,000 new cases a day. That's up from our low of, what, 20 to 30? Uh, it has yeah. to be caused by some of these events and those people going back and uh, infecting their family and their neighbors. Uh, I would guess that that's a, a pretty good reason why uh, we should all wear masks, not necessarily for our own protection, but for other people's protection. And when they don't wear the masks, a lot of people get infected. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the mask is really not for not to protect you as much as for you to not, um, you know, uh, to get your get your uh, um, you know pass it to someone else. So, um, and that's the reason to to do it. And it's uh, it's just unfortunate that um, you have this big segment of the population, which is a, a fairly unique American uh, experience, that just refuses to participate in that for political reasons, basically, and it's really quite strange and very unfortunate. Um, It also looks like uh, Trump has uh, started a myriad of legal actions against the count, and the biggest problem for him is he doesn't have an A-team of attorneys, not like a Jim Baker for the Gore v. Bush thing in 2000. He's got the Z-team led by Rudy. A noun, a verb, in nine eleven. That's how he was referred to. Mm-hmm. Well, he does. I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, I would. I would much prefer to have James Baker than um, you know Rudy Giuliani being you know being my lead attorney on on fighting some of this stuff. But you know, I think uh, you know. I don't. I don't know if you saw. You probably did his um, little um, statement yesterday. It wasn't really a press conference. We didn't take any questions. But um, it was really quite pathetic actually um you could tell that he's uh, knows he's lost the election he's uh, uh you know and he made all these ridiculous claims about cheating and vote counting and all this that were totally unsubstantiated by anything and so to the extent that i mean i don't think that he has much really to go on in terms of any making any case um he's tried to get the count stopped in a couple of places that didn't work uh and it doesn't seem to be any irregularity he hasn't been able you know he has to some degree but not really been able to sort of mobilize you know the the trumpsters out there to to sort of um uh, have the member in 2000, the so-called Brooks Brothers riot. Um, you know they've tried some of that to stop the vote, but that hasn't worked. And uh, I don't, I don't know that there um, he has many angles left. So I'm, it's it's kind of 
you know, I almost had empathy for him when I was watching the, that event last night, but uh, I think that Rudy Giuliani is not going to have enough success. Now, I mean, Wisconsin, 20,000 votes, maybe conceivably, but it's just very, very unlikely. A place like Georgia, where there might be a few thousand votes, that could potentially, you know, turn based on a recount. But, but the sec I, Secretary of State in Georgia said they are definitely going to a recount. That's right, yeah, and it, and it could change. And there's also some overseas military ballots and stuff that they don't know how many that haven't been counted yet. So, you know, that Georgia's going to be, it'll be, it'll be a while before we figure out Georgia, but uh, fortunately for everyone, I guess um, the it looks like Pennsylvania will be resolved, and we'll know the we'll know the answer at some point, probably today. Uh, I'm surprised that Arizona and Nevada have not um, counted more votes than they have, <clears throat> but uh, it mo the recent analysis I've seen shows that uh, Trump's unlikely to be able to to pull it out in Arizona. So so now we're talking about two formerly very very strong Republican states that are looking like starting to look like swing states here. At least that's what we see with the Trump campaign, a Trump re-election campaign. Uh, and by the way, Bob, I did want to make sure that to let you know that I called Georgia for for Biden, and I thought it was a big I thought it was a big call, and it looks like it is because he's not taking a lot of the other states that he was expected to take. Even you know the very optimistic idea that he would take Texas, but Georgia's a big deal. I think it's a huge deal, and it's going to be a problem for Republicans down the line um, for you know presidential elections, no question. Yeah, because a lot of um, educated people are moving from other areas of the country that uh, might be considered more um, rural, and they're going into Georgia and especially the large cities, and there's a large and increasing population of people of color as well. That's right. Yeah, and so I think those demographic shifts are really big. I also think that one of the one of the major factors here is uh, Stacey Abrams, who lost the um, technically had lost the, uh, the gubernatorial election in 2018. They've spent a I forget the name of her organization, but they've spent a lot of time and effort the last couple of years mobilizing voters, um, you know, registering voters, getting turnout up, and I think turnout among youth voters in Georgia was was very impressive. Um, and so I, there's no question that you can count, you know, thousands and thousands of votes there that um, that Biden got that he would not have gotten with the, without the kind of organization work that was, that's been done. And I think Democrats do this a lot. They sort of write off the state because they think they can't win it. Um, but when you, when you actually start to believe you can win it and do some organizing, you know, some uh, different things could happen. So this is a huge story to me, the Georgia result. And uh, we'll, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a problem for Republicans. And, and also, don't forget that Georgia, with this new census, is probably going to gain a number of seats in Congress as well. So, uh, so this will turn out pretty. This will, this will get very interesting over the next couple of cycles. And one other thing that should be worrying Democrats are Latinos. Uh, many people are saying that they didn't reach out enough. They haven't engaged with Latinos of all ages and uh, countries of orig origin. And that's one of the reasons why they didn't get as many, I think, as the last election. Hillary had more Latino votes than Biden did. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think um, in uh, some places, you know, he got... Um he got 30% of, um, you know, of male Latino voters, and that's a, that's a pretty good chunk, uh, maybe more in, in some places. It was surprising. Maybe the Democrats are sort of taking, um, taking those votes for granted. Um, maybe there's, there's something that Trump, uh, appeals to that Democrats don't fully understand, or we don't, uh, you know, there's, haven't made that connection yet, but it is surprising that Trump did as well. 
um, with Latino voters as um, he did, even though not particularly well, uh, better than, uh, you know, for him to do better than uh, in 2016 is really shocking, you know, to me, frankly. And he, they didn't do too bad in some places, or I would say too bad, but the, he actually got a pretty um, not insignificant amount of uh, black male vote in some in some places so it's really uh, it's really interesting that, uh, that that he did do a little better this time with minorities which you would think would be uh, would would be much less likely to happen based on his record over the last few years um, but remember you know party identification is really really solid in the US right now and um, you know I think twenty years ago I doubt Trump would have a chance to win but uh, because this sort of really rigid um, gap between Democrats and Republicans. Um, you're, you're seeing uh, dynamics that you wouldn't you wouldn't have expected to see. And I think that um, uh, if uh, the Republicans retain the Senate, the thing that Biden is going to have to do is something that his two predecess- predecessors were criticized for, and that's executive orders. Plus, I don't think uh, McConnell will shy about bringing those to the Supreme Court, where they will probably die. This will be like 1937 when the reason for FDR to threaten to increase the size of the Supreme Court was that uh, the Supreme Court uh, was not uh, passing along or uh, uh, allowing his, uh, uh, let's see, uh, what is it, the Great Society? No, that was uh, Johnson. That was Great New Deal. Deal. The New Deal. Mm -hmm the elements of that were not allowed to go forward until he threatened to increase the size of the court. Well, if the Democrats don't have the Senate, they can't threaten that. Well, right, that's true. I mean, you have to have um, you have to have the votes in Congress to do it. So everyone believed that that would be the case, and there could be some movement in that direction. But yeah, without the Senate, well, that's not going to happen. And it also means that there are openings that uh, in the next couple of years, or until, or if, and when the Senate becomes Democratic, which is much more difficult for the Democrats. Um, you know, it's going to. Uh, we don't know what the outcome of that would be if Biden actually gets a chance to nominate someone for the court, because there'll have to be some kind of um, compromise, I would guess, on that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the Republicans. Um, one legacy of Trump, um, assuming that he's no longer going to be president, is this uh, his picks for the Supreme Court. Very conservative. The court now clearly to the right. And what is that going to mean going forward? Um, it's not going to. It's going to be bad. I mean, you have. Um, Amy Coney Barrett, who's not even willing to say that she thinks that um, the Medicare program is constitutional. I mean, can you imagine the Supreme Court um, trying to um, un- undo basically everything that's every decision about the relationship between the federal and state governments going back to, as you mentioned, the New Deal? I mean, this is unbelievable to even contemplate. And these people are way outside the mainstream of, um, of legal thought. And they're going to be making those decisions. And now, what is what options does Biden have? Really, really not not any at this point, without being able to pass legislation. So that's one of the biggest, I think, one of the biggest um, disappointments for the Democrats, of course. Well, assuming that Biden wins and he gets to appoint an attorney general, um, there's some rot uh, that both Mitch McConnell and his wife. Uh, Transportation Secretary uh, are standing on uh, where there are allegations of improprieties on both uh, of that married couple's part. Elaine Chow giving her family favorable terms. Uh, They are, I think, in mainland China. And then there's McConnell, who may have done 
some illegal things about getting money into his state. So um, that's a possibility. Well, I think that there's certainly um, those those could be looked into, and I think when uh, Biden is able to appoint an attorney general, um, you know, and historically you're the president's able to get who he wants for these kind of kind of positions. Maybe that won't be the case this time because I think there's a the attorney general should and uh, could and should go after some of this stuff. I think that uh, Trump's uh, team and Trump himself are also uh, under very potential, uh, very large potential threat in terms of, um, you know, federal courts and, and the law. And uh, even if even if he's uh, pardoned by Pence for the, his federal um, misdeeds, um, he's, he's going to have to face it at the state level. In fact, Trump said he's going to leave the country if he loses, and that might not be a bad idea. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think that the you – know, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried, but I'm concerned that Biden's going to basically say, you know, I want to unify the country, and so I'm not going to pursue any of that stuff and all that. But I think there really does need to be some accountability. I mean, Bill Barr is out of control. The White House is, um, you know, has, has had no respect whatsoever for the law. Uh, and those things have to be remedied, and there has to be, you know, some some big focus on that because it can't just be, oh well, let's just let's just uh, move move forward. Some things have to be addressed, or else it's going to continue to happen. And uh, it's unfortunate that the Senate is not going to be uh, that McConnell is going to be able to stop a lot of legislation. So it's going to have to be done via the executive you know, branch agencies, and the Attorney General certainly should, you know, I think the Attorney General should certainly be, you know, looking into that stuff uh, rather than just sort of saying, well, let's, let's not open those, those wounds. I think it's important to do that. <laughs> well, one of my biggest criticisms of Obama was that he didn't look backward at all and try mm -hmm. to move forward when we knew right away that McConnell didn't even want him to have a second term. So, in, in not necessarily the attorney general, but I think a bipartisan commission to look into crimes committed uh, in Trump's uh, almost four years in office. I think that there are a lot of people uh, that I will allege have committed a lot of crimes that rise to the level of exposing. And whether they actually go to court and try to convict these people, at least they should be listed those things that were done illegally. Um, but that's just me. But here's the segue to my next question. If Trump loses, uh, what will he do? Will he leave? Will he ask, uh, resign and ask Pence to pardon him? I mean, somebody suggested that if he took Air Force One and flew to Moscow and then let uh, Putin keep the 747, that that might be the best outcome. Um, I suppose that could happen. Um, it, it seems unlikely, but I suppose. Well, I think what I think what will happen is um, if you look at uh, Trump and his uh, little statement last night and how despondent he was and the kind of you know absurd claims that he was making, I believe that he is sort of coming to terms with the fact that he's going to lose the election and is going to leave town. Um, I think ultimately he will. Um, I think that. He probably will get pardoned by Pence for any potential federal, uh, real and potential federal crimes, right? I think that will happen. Um, and I, I believe if he does try to stay in office and says, I won this election, like he's saying currently, I won the election, uh, this is all fraudulent, I'm, I'm going to stay. If that's the case, I think what will happen is that uh, Biden, you know, he'll just stay there and Biden will be inaugurated. 
and he'll become president, and then he'll go to the White House, and they'll have the Secret Service remove Trump like any other trespasser. And that's what I think is going to happen. So um, if he tries to stick around, so I, I don't, you know, I've been wrong about most things Trump-related because <laughs> yeah. he seems to be way outside the the norm. But yes. uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that he's probably going to um, maybe not concede, but he'll leave town. Well, I, and I can say about uh, being so wrong that uh, I'm with you. We misread everything, and I think that we were misled is part of that. But until Trump decides to do whatever he's going to do, he can still wreck a lot of habit, ha- havoc. Yeah, he can. Um, I think, um, you know, there's, I think they've pretty much stacked the courts, and so normally that would be something you'd want to try to do before you, before you leave town. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to be until January 20th, um, and you know, who knows what can happen between now and then, particularly um, if you have, um, you know, you still have that, um, the, the Republican Senate, and he can make a lot of waves. Uh, but I, you know, I don't know that, um, you know, I don't know that there's a lot he's going to be able to do, and because there's not going to be any legislation he's going to be able to pass with the Democratic House, I, I don't believe. So he could make a lot of noise, uh, and you know, and he could pardon a lot of people and do things like that that he can do on his own, do some executive orders. But uh, executive orders can be undone, and um, you know, if Roger, um, Roger, what's his name, <laughs> gets uh, gets pardons, and you know, so Stone. So let me circle back to the House, since you just mentioned it. I hear rumblings that there's going to be a potential revolt against Nancy Pelosi. Well, that, I, I've I've heard something about this too, and there was uh, some opposition to to Nancy uh, last time um, when the the House was uh, in 2018 or 2019, um, and I think that there may be she she. Seems to be um, she seems to have an approach that's sort of out the, as it reached the end of its usefulness, and I think there's um, you know you have an old guard in the house that's really focused on this sort of um, traditional way that politics has been done with big money and all that kind of stuff, and that you know the whole a lot of what she's done is designed to maintain uh, the party's hold on a lot of this sort of um, you know big money and that. Uh, and, and some of the other political benefits uh, or advantages that they think they, they can, um, you know, they can get. But I think the the House membership as a whole is becoming much more liberal, more to the left. And um, I think Pelosi, being however old she is, close to eighty, I think. I don't know. It's seventy nine. Yeah, so it's probably time for her to go. And um, you know, maybe she'll. Um, who knows what that'll look like? I imagine she'll be easily reelected as as Speaker. But uh, it. it it could get um, it, it could sort of bring that difference out into into the public light. I think that might be a good thing. I think that one of the reasons that Trump did as well as he did is he scared people into believing that the uh, ultra progressives were going to take over and take away guns and other things, raise taxes, and I think that uh, the people in the the center part of the country were worried about that and. Uh, so if that was part of the reason, I think Trump, in that respect, was quite, uh, uh, was quite effective. Uh, so therefore, um, what I'm coming down to is that I don't think this is the time for the ultra-progressives, because if they want to gain seats the next election and maybe get the Senate back if they've lost it this time, you can't be too, um, too far on the edge. And I don't think that's good on the right or the left. 
Well, I mean, typically you don't want people, you don't want to get too far outside the mainstream. I mean, in our two-party system, you need that moderate voter to win elections. And so I think it's going to be, uh, so it's surprising really that the Republicans have been able to move so far to the right and become, frankly, unhinged in a number of ways and still be able to get, you know, 50% of the vote um, effectively. You know, should the um, should the progressives really, you know, make their stand? Um, you know, it uh, it worked. It's been working for the you know sort of arch conservatives in the Republican Party in terms of winning elections and just taking over the party. Um, but I think that um, if they had a more moderate, reasonable candidate, uh, they would probably win re-election this time around. Usually, incumbents do quite well uh, winning re-election. But um, I don't know. I'm of two minds about this. I'd like to see the Democratic Party personally. I'd like to see it move further to the left. I'd like to see it move away from the sort of traditional model of it being all about you know big money and that kind. Kind of thing. Uh, that's a that's a tough thing to do, of course. Um, but do uh, and and I think that Democrats need to sort of stand up for what they believe in. There's too many Democrats like Nancy Pelosi who are kind of like trying to trying to be really liberal for her San Francisco constituents, but then you know say how you know talk talk poo poo them when she's talking to big donors and that kind of stuff. And you know I think I think that that um, that needs to go away and it's an old model and we need um, you know democrats that are willing to you know step up and be uh, you know clearly liberal and you know move the party in the direction it's going i mean the young people are much more uh, much more likely to move the democratic party to the left uh, and and the politics of the country in general so um I'd like to, you know, I think it would be a good thing for the Democrats to see some some substantial change, but I think it'll take a couple more cycles, and, uh, you know, Pelosi will hold on to her, and her leadership will hold on for now, I think. Yeah, I think that incremental uh, change is much better than sudden and severe change, and uh, that's what the uh, uh, ultra-liberals want right now is severe change, but that's impractical. You need both houses to pass a law. You need the president to sign. And I, if McConnell has the Senate, it doesn't make any difference what you propose. It's not going to work. So maybe it would be better to be a little bit more pragmatic, uh, get to 2022 and see if gains could be made and then move forward a little faster. But I don't think that the country is ready for well, the problem. Well, I'm sorry to cut you That's off. Okay. No, the, it's problem, all right. the problem, the problem to, to me is that um, you can't be pragmatic. Um, Obama tried to be pragmatic. He tried to work with Congress. He tried to, you know, sort of legislate in the traditional way. Uh, and McConnell's having none of it. And so I don't think that that's going to, you know, a, a strategy of trying to, you know, thread the needle and bring bring the the, the two parties together and come up with things that can be pursued, you know, um, with a majority of support. I don't I don't think McConnell has any interest in doing that whatsoever. And um, that's going to and so it's hard to it's hard to deal with someone who doesn't want to deal. And Obama ran into that, and Biden's going to run into that, and unfortunately, he's just going to have to try to you know, uh, run, push, push over him and push him to the side, run over and push him to the side. And, um, you know, without, you know, that's, that's really unfortunate for the Democrats then because they weren't able to take the Senate. And, um, you know, it, I, but I don't think there's any way that you're going to be able to find some middle ground and really do much, accomplish much of anything, uh, and, you know, but, uh, with any assumption that you're going to get some, that, um, that McConnell's going to play ball. And so I, you know, in, in a perfect world, that would be nice, but I, I don't see it happening. Well, right now, I think there are between 200 and 300 bills that the House has passed that McConnell has just sat on. So if 
um, there was radical legislation that was passed in the House, and of course McConnell wouldn't take it up. But then in 2022, uh, what will happen is that the Republicans will point to this radical legislation and say, do you want these bills to pass? Do you want these people to be in charge? And that's basically what Trump did this time. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Republicans did as well as they did. Well, you, you might be right. And um, I think the other thing that's going to really matter between now and 2022 is what the, what the census is going to look like. We know that Trump has you know, messed that up, too. Um, and what is that going to look like and what is that going to mean for redistricting, who's in charge of those state legislatures and all that. I mean, we know that uh, the gerrymandering makes very few of those House races competitive at all. And uh, Republicans were basically drawing most of those maps in the last decade, and we'll see if that uh, that changes any now. Democrats do have more state houses, and so that could have a big impact that we don't know what that's going to look like. But um, and so you can run you can run AOC in, in the Bronx, but you're not going to be able to get her elected, you know, in um, you know Tennessee or something. So it's just a, so, but that's the thing, Bob. It's it's all so unique and different depending on the region that it's going to um you know it's hard to sort of put that puzzle together but you know it's like we all we all think we're going to we know what's going to happen and what the next election is going to be about and then it almost always is different no one would have predicted that we're going to be having this election in the context of a pandemic and so who knows what's going to happen between now and 2022 so i'm going to ask a question and you may not know the answer and that's okay uh but uh, assuming that the Republicans retain the Senate and it's going to be hard for uh, President Biden to get any of his choices through. So are there people in, say, like the Department of Justice that are a couple of steps down uh, that could be elevated without uh, a Senate approval? Oh, you mean elevated to um, to what kind of position? Acting attorney general, as a, for instance. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, I mean, there can, Trump has really relied a lot of on on acting uh, acting directors, um, you know, for for months or years, and so I think certainly you could you could have that if um, the the Senate's not willing to play ball on your nominees. But historically speaking, the president tends to get who he wants for his cabinet. It's very unusual that the Senate will. Um, sort of balk on any of that stuff. I think the the big one was John Tower back. It's been like the 1980s uh, since the last time that happened, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I can't remember any big ones since then. But um, so I'd be surprised if he's not able to get who he wants for Attorney General and that kind of thing. Um, but but given McConnell's you know very uh, is, is a great amount of skill at um, obstructing things, uh, it certainly. Uh, you know, I, I could see it happening, but certainly you could use you could use acting directors for as long as it takes. Um, but I also think that you could probably get your nominees through uh, the Senate. Well, I wouldn't hold my breath. And uh, <laughs> and as a judge uh, who shot down a guy who was in for four hundred some odd days, I think the law states two hundred and ten days is as long as you can have a temporary head of a department. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. So, yeah, so about half a year. Mm -hmm. So let's uh, talk for a couple of minutes about the Supreme Court. Um, will any of Trump's lawsuits uh, come before the Supreme Court, do you think, or will be asked for them to adjudicate um, any of those cases? What do you think will happen? 
Well, I think it really depends on what is found in the recounts. Um, I think right now Trump really doesn't have a case. Um, <clears throat> this idea that there's been these bogus ballots or there's um, this counting has been happening in secret and who knows what's going on, I think it's, it's all nonsense. And uh, so, but it, to me, it depends on what happens when you start getting into those the recounts. You look at specific ballots. You, you know the terrible memories of Florida with people sort of <laughs> holding the ballot up mm. to the sunlight to try to figure out what the intent of the voter. And so, I think if you it turns on some of those questions, um, there there could be an issue of equal protection uh, of the vote. Um, you know, each each person being treated equally under the law in terms of their right to vote and to have it counted and all that sort of thing. Um, so it could end in the Supreme Court, but um, in the absence of some real obvious problem or clear illegal behavior or something, I just don't, I don't see it. I think Trump doesn't have a leg to stand on this time around. Well, I hope so, but um, as again, I'm not going to hold my breath. Well, so, I mean, yes, I suppose he could bring a case uh, or um, ask the Supreme Court to hear something um, that is questionable and he has a clear majority on the court to be willing to entertain it and to and to make a decision on it um sure don't let's not hold our breath but i you know i don't i don't see it happening so we have a few minutes left and i want to go back to a couple of the questions i asked in my opening um the democrats raised a lot of money uh did they deploy it uh in the right way and um uh, did they peak too early because they went all out and made sure that people had mail-in ballots? What do you think about those two things? Well, I think that the, um, maybe the Democrats did peak too early, and maybe, um, you know, they saw, again, it goes back to the polling, right? You had a, a big push to turn Democrats out. It looked like it was pretty effective, and it seems like that's the, that the vote is sort of, um, you know, that's panning out right now, at least in the presidential election. Um, but... You know, it's um, uh, I, yeah. I don't. I don't know. What was the other one um, that you? What was the other question you asked? Well, did they uh, deploy the money that oh. they outraised the Republicans with? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, so did they deploy it correctly? Well, again, as I, as I mentioned, it, it sort of goes back to where they think that um, you know that that the Democrats are competitive and where they might be able to pick something up. I think the the polling was so optimistic for the Democrats. They did spend a lot of money, let's say, in South Carolina running against Lindsey Graham, which probably was was big time wasted money. Um, they probably should have, you know. They should, probably should have maintained their focus on Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and just lock those guys up instead of, as I say, you know, sending Obama to Florida or spending a lot of money in other places um, where you know it's less likely that Democrats would win. And I think part of that's the polling. I think part of it's because the early vote was uh, was mobilized, and then sort of Democrats just decided, hey, um, look at that mobilization, look at the polls, we got this thing in, in hand, and so election day turnout wasn't very good. And, um, you know, I think, so I think the Democrats peaked a little early, and they got a little, um, they got a little overconfident at the end. And, um you know, again, for the third time, I think uh, it goes back to some of the polling and the data. And w unless there's some really uh, a, a big advance there or some way to suss out what the problem was, uh, it's going to be hard to figure out where the money goes and uh, which races are competitive. Because this time, Democrats just got really burnt, and they did in 2016, too. So uh, they're going to be less likely to look at those polls and say, hey, here's where we should spend our money and try to maybe figure out um, another way to 
or, or some other uh, way to, to to add to that to influence where their money's going and the decisions that they're making. But I think they got overconfident and they decided to expand the map. That's exactly what um, Hillary Clinton did in 2016, and um, you know it looked like a good idea at the time, but but maybe not. Well, one of the things I think that the Republicans did is they did outreach from uh, the end of uh, Obama's uh, last term, and they started to connect. And I think that if the Democrats uh, get Joe as president, and it's a good possibility that that will happen, and lose the Senate, I think the Democrats ought to have a very heavy uh, movement to connect with Latinos and put them in leadership positions uh, mm. because there aren't as many people of color in the hierarchy of the Democratic Party and especially in Congress. And that should be done if they want to have them uh, support uh, a second term for Joe Biden. Yeah, I think there has um, that the Latino vote was um, sort of taken for granted to some degree. And it didn't turn out to be as, as um, you know, overwhelming as Democrats expected. So I, I think you're right. There does need to be some, some effort uh, there. You know, and I think a place like Texas, um, you know, that's generally more conservative. Latinos in Texas are more conservative. And um, you have to make more effort to really, um, you know, get your message out there and to mobilize them. And, uh, I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not, uh, I don't, you know, I'm not super negative about it or pessimistic about it because I think if you look at Arizona, um, that's a big uh, Latino voters had a big impact there. You look at Colorado, that's been happening for a while, and so I think that it's still um, the Democrats and, and Latino voters are still you know in sync. But you're, you're right, there does need to be um, you know what happens is Democrats tend to start taking advantage or taking those votes for granted, uh, and then they're looking for those moderate votes, which they have to, but they really have to look at maintaining their coalition and. And uh, enhancing turnout, uh, which, by the way, turnout was massive you yes. know, this year. Um, yes. But but it didn't help Democrats usually the way big turnout would. I think you had a lot of sort of Trump voters coming out of the woodwork too. Um, and just uh, just think, Bob. I, well, one of the last um, sort of observations I want to make is this: this election did not help at all in terms of resolving this fifty-fifty split in the country. I mean, we're looking at a Senate that could be tied. We're looking at a House where you have maybe barely double-digit uh, difference in the seats. We've got um, a presidential election that's going to hinge on states of a few thousand votes. And, uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think there's been a lot of resolution uh, of this sort of big, this big break, this, this big separation in, in, the, in, the, in the U.S. by party. And that's something that I think is unfortunate in terms of what we might have expected and what, what turned out. Yeah, and I think that um, in getting back to what you said before about passing legislation, even if Mitch McConnell is still in control of the Senate, if they can, if the Democrats in 2024 can point back and say, we tried to help everyone, not just those people that voted for us, we want your support now. So I'm not quite sure um, that they'll do that, even if it doesn't get passed in the Senate, but they should. They should show those demographic areas uh, that, they are f that the Democrats are for them, not against them. Okay, we're coming up on the end, Phil. I want to thank you very much for coming. Uh, 
And I want everyone to know that uh, the next show on the 20th of November is going to be with Harvard professor Alexander Kisar about is the uh, Electoral College still needed? Uh, so thank you very much for listening and thank you for being here, Phil. Uh, and see you next time. Thanks, Bob.